This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, James, they're letting us do this again. Can you believe it? I certainly can. I got so many rave reviews about what we did last week. It only makes sense that they brought us back to do it some more. Thank goodness we have you. (laughs) Shannon Dreyer, James Osborne, the hot stove coming your way for the next hour. We're talking baseball. And, uh, you know, a good hour ahead of us, as I think you were probably following along, Baseball America's Top 100, latest Top 100 came out. Mariners represented very well in this list. We're going to talk to Kyle Glazer of Baseball America and get into what goes into making those lists and some highlights of some of those names and also... I'm interested. I want to talk to him about the competition. Yeah, it's really interesting because we spend so much time, and we have for the past several years, looking at the Mariners very in-depth and looking at their top prospects and looking at the organization's health as a whole. It is going to be interesting to see how the landscape may have changed in the AL West. Do you want to learn a little something? Always, yes. Well, we learned last week about the O-Swing. This week, Gary Hill is going to join us and talk about something a little bit more obvious In the home run. We know they're important. We all like the long ball. He's going to tell you why we like the long ball, and we're going to take a look at where the Mariners stand in providing balls that go over the fence. That is coming up in a few minutes. And in your Get to Know the Mariners, Bob Stelton from Wyman and Bob is going to drop by. I think he might. He's got a rich baseball history. I'm just going to say that. And I think fans are really going to appreciate where he comes from with his baseball. Uh, We also are going to hot stove uh, some topics there's still a there's, lot. There's plenty to talk about. There's exactly. there's so much. I mean, the the names that are circulating around the Mariners that were in December and the positions that they need to fill, it lines up super well for what the Mariners could potentially do when it comes back. We're going to take a lot deeper look at that. Bottom line is we're going to have you ready for when this thing gets going again. And it cannot happen soon enough, but also cannot happen soon enough. It's great to welcome in Kyle Glazer from Baseball America right now. Thank you so much for taking time to join us today. Uh, We really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Always happy to talk baseball, and especially a system as exciting as the Mariners. That is a good start right there. We like that. Hey, before we get into the Mariners and what they are doing as far as the farm building and what they have right now, can you give us just a picture of everything that goes into these lists, how you get your information, how it's put together? Yeah, it's a comprehensive process that really lasts the entirety of the previous year, even before that in some cases. Um, It's a lot of conversations with officials within the Mariners organization, whether that's player development, managers, coaches, coordinators, as well as scouts and evaluators from outside the Mariners system. So we're getting both sides of it, what people inside the organization think and what people outside the organization think, and that is, I mean, we have a Word document, or I have a Word document, I should say, of Mariners feedback that's probably 40 or 50 pages long of just feedback from all different coaches and scouts and evaluators from officials throughout the game about all the players in the Mariners system. We also do some of our own looks. Um, I'm here on the West Coast, so I see a lot of Mariners prospects myself. I also watch a lot of video, but that kind of is not the priority. The priority is what are the professionals, what are the people inside the game seeing and what do they think. We kind of use our own looks to kind of check some things, verify some things, see things that we might want to ask those officials about. Um, But it really is how does the industry see these players, and it's pretty comprehensive. That's fascinating to hear how you guys come about that. It must be really interesting to hear some of the sentiment when you talk to that many people 
in each organization. Is there something you hear that uh, it just stands out maybe for the Mariners? You've been doing this for a while, and Baseball America's been doing this for years. Is there anything that stands out when you talk to people with the Mariners that seems like a change or different than maybe the rest of the industry works? Just the pitching. Uh, you talk to evaluators, and the first thing they talk about is just, wow, they have so many arms right now, uh, opposing evaluators, I should say. And obviously, Julio Rodriguez is the guy at the top, and he is a, a future standout, um, glowing reviews all the way around. And uh, look, it doesn't take much to see that he's a special talent scout or not. But when you start diving into the rest of the system, you know, you can't go a couple minutes without various officials or evaluators just being like, yeah, they are stacked with arms. That's what stands out about the system and the types of things that people are saying about it. Kyle, when I look at the Mariners, uh, and I know the investment that they have put into not just acquiring players, but growing the players within the organization, the personnel, the staff, the technology, it's just night and day from what it was not too long ago and everything that has been brought in. It seems to me that they are not leaving any stone in turned unturned in improving these players and to me it seems like with pitchers in particular they can take a jump if you put that work in if you have that investment and I look at the Mariners and I figure well everybody must be doing this are they doing anything unique or is this just where pitching is right now I think they were sort of at the forefront a little bit uh, I one of the organizations at the forefront I should say of you know adding velocity to guys without necessarily a sacrifice control or health. Uh, they started that gas camp. They just renamed it, but it was colloquially known as their gas camp a few years ago, sort of before some other teams were doing that, where they were helping guys really take big velocity increases. Again, you know, not just being max effort through as hard as you can, but kind of having a plan behind it. I think about guys like LJ Newsom and Reggie McLean a few years ago, who if you saw them in high A or low A, I mean, they were 87, 88, touching 89 on a good day. And then you see him pop up in the majors a few years later, touching 94. I mean, it's not abnormal to see guys take two, three, four-mile-an-hour jumps. But seeing eight- or nine-mile-an-hour jumps, that's pretty rare. Um, so I think that's been one thing the Mariners have done. They've done a good job with pitching instruction. And, look, they, they've modernized some things. Uh, my previous job, or two jobs, I should say, before Baseball America, uh, I covered the High Desert Mavericks back when they were a Mariners affiliate at the start of last decade. And just seeing some of the player development processes, some of the coaches, how they've changed over the years, it's certainly been moved in, the, in a positive direction. Well, tell us a little bit more about what's going on in the rest of the AL West. As we've spent, for the past few years of the Mariners' rebuild, a ton of time looking closely at the Mariners and their system, their top prospects. How are things trending throughout the rest of the division? Yeah, the Mariners have far and away the strongest form system among AL West teams. Keep in mind some of that is a product of where the rest of the teams in the division have been. Keep in mind, a lot of this was intentional on the part of the Mariners. They had that big sell-off uh, after the 2018 season, I believe it was. So um, at that same time, you know, the Astros have been contending, the A's have been contending, the Angels have been trying to contend. So they've been amassing prospects while other teams in the division haven't focused on that. And that's really let them build this, this pipeline, if you will, that is kind of far and away above everyone else. They're in a great place. Uh, we're going to have our organizational talent rankings out here in a few weeks. The Mariners are, are going to be very, very high. You saw our midseason organization talent rankings. They're number one. I don't want to reveal exactly where they are now, but it's still very, very high. 
and uh, there's no one else in the division that is uh, really close to them. We do look at the division. We understand the value of the prospect in long-term future and really just how the division stacks up, not just this year, but a a couple of years to come. And also the Rangers, who took the interesting turn of, of spending a ton of money this year. They've got some young players that could... I'm not sure they would be of impact this year, but man, if they get their feet wet and get a good year under them, could be of impact in the following year. What is the outlook for the Rangers in, in with their young players? I'm glad you asked that because this is now really the first time they kind of have some of the horses, both in, frankly on their major league roster or in their farm system, where you can say, okay, they're moving in the right direction. Um, remember a few years ago they were touting guys like, Realty Tavares and Anderson Tejeda, and I was watching these guys firsthand. I was living in North Carolina at the time. Their affiliates were in Hickory, uh, down east. And just to be frank, it was very clear that these were not the impact players the Rangers were hyping them up to be, or in some cases, the Rangers truly believed they were. Combine that with a major league team that was just, again, a lot of guys who were not that good, but people thought they were better than they actually are, like Joey Gallo and Fernando Dorr. Now they've turned the page on that. Again, they, they traded a bunch of guys at the deadline, really brought in some interesting, talented players. They've invested in some really good players in the draft, Josh Young, Jack Leiter this year. So I think really for the first time in years, the Rangers are moving in the right direction. But it just started. It's what they did at this trade deadline. It's what they've done these last two drafts. Um, it's still a couple years away from, from building up to a place where they're going to have both the major league talent and the farm system talent to really contend, again, signing Marcus Simeon, signing Corey Seager, signing John Gray. It's all good starts, um, but there's a lot of steps here before the Rangers are ready to compete in the AL West. Tell us a little bit about the Astros, too, because we over here in Seattle have been jealous of how they have simultaneously been able to put a winning championship-caliber team on the field and then continue to bring up stars and then continue to have more stars come behind them Where's their system at, and how are they trending? Yeah, I mean, the Astros are a great, great team. Again, they've made the World Series, represent the American League World Series for the last five years. Obviously, the science center scandal, Castle Paul over the 2017 World Series championship, but they're back in 19, they were back last year. What they've done a good job of is sort of finding guys under the radar and turning them into something. Uh, you look at their pitching staff, like guys like Christian Javier, Luis Garcia, Jose Arquiti, uh, you know, guys that were not highly touted, Fernando Valdez, and they've helped them get a lot better. Uh, recently, some position player guys as well, like Jake Myers and Chaz McCormick. They had this run where they were drafting at the top of the draft, spending a bunch of money internationally, and bring up homegrown stars and George Springer and Alex Bregman and Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve. Um, well, Altuve was also an under-the-radar guy who got better under them. Now it's more about they're finding gems that are maybe not that highly touted, but, you know, they're starting to lose some serious major league talent. We saw George Springer leaving free agency. Carlos Correa, by all accounts, is probably going to leave in free agency. So I'll say this, the Astros are going to remain competitive. The bottom's not going to drop out here. They still have good players in the major leagues. And they do a good job, again, of, of developing some guys in the farm system that maybe you're not paying as much attention to until it's like, oh, they were better than we thought they were. Um, but, again, it's hard to replace Springer and Correa. And Altuve's starting to get a little older, so we'll see. But they've had a great run, and I expect them to remain competitive for at least you know, one or two, maybe three more years at, at least. 
We are visiting right now with Baseball America's Kyle Glazer, and we have just got a couple of minutes to go. And Kyle, we have to we have to end, of course, with a Mariner. And I could take it back to your high desert days and talk about Nick Franklin and Steve Barron and let you do that. But um, I, I think maybe instead we should talk a little bit about George Kirby, who's made some dramatic strides. What do you see for him right now? Yeah, he was always someone that had pinpoint control. Uh, he had six walks and 14 starts uh, his final year at Elon. And, and his stuff was good. It wasn't like this was a soft toss and fell in 87. I mean, he had good stuff, good control, and a good athlete. We absolutely take a shot on that, especially uh, back third in the first round of the Mariners, the 20th overall pick. And he's another guy that's really benefited from getting into the Mariners' player development system. He's added a lot of added a lot of velocity. He's gotten a little bit stronger and done it while maintaining that pinpoint control. Again, it's not like he added velocity but lost his control to do so. And it's been impressive to watch. I mean, now there are evaluators out there who see him as a potential front of the rotation starter, and those guys are very, very, very rare. Now, the big thing is showing he can hold this improved stuff. Over the course of a full season, he did miss some time last year with shoulder tenderness. Uh, the Mariners internally have said that they were just being very cautious coming off of 2020 season and no one was really throwing except in the alternate training site conditions. So we have to see what he can do next year and if he can really be that durable workhorse who's going, you know, six, seven and start every fifth day because that's a big part of being a number one starter. Number two starter. You know, those guys don't throw five innings; they throw six, seven, eight, um, and that's not an easy thing to accomplish. At the same time, every trend with George Kirby is moving in the right direction, and the stuff is there, the control is there, and there's no reason to doubt this guy based on his track record and what he's done so far. Well, we cannot wait to see it. Hopefully soon down in spring training. That would be nice. But uh, in the meantime, we really appreciate the extra looks and the insight. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime, guys. Great insight there. And uh, I, I really like how he showed us what goes on behind the scenes. It's not, they have information that the fan doesn't have. We have so much information now. And we can break things down to the nth degree. A little bit tougher on the prospect side, and they do all the work. I'm just excited that the Astros may not be a juggernaut forever. When he said one to three years that they like have a window now, I'm stoked because that used to be like a permanently like a fixed open window now. <laughs> like it's it's potentially could close. That's I'm more than happy about that. Now we'll see because we thought that was opening and now we know that they have to break it down, but maybe position to do exactly that. Hey, receive the latest on everything Mariners when you sign up for our text messages, breaking news, alert on ticket specials, and more. All you have to do is text Mariners to 242247 to sign up today. When we come back, we're going to hear from Gary Hill. You are listening to The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle. The Hot Stove Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. The 22 season is around the corner and packed full of great times at T-Mobile Park. Don't miss out on matchups against the Yankees, Red Sox, and Braves. Plus seven, count them, seven fireworks nights, howdy, and Ichiro Hall of Fame weekend in August. Secure your seats now at Mariners.com. 
Shannon Dreyer, James Osborne. I, I can call you howdy on this, of on this show. It's can. not proprietary to no. anything else. Or okay, No, I've leased it actually to the show. So at least the name and likeness for this, and it's totally fine. I feel better. I, you know what? I'm even going to take my shoes off now. I'm much more comfortable <laughs> with this whole situation. This is the Hot Stove Show. Gary Hill is joining us again. I love what he is doing for us right now. He's explaining things for us, and we sometimes need that with everything and all of the changes and everything that we see in baseball. And this was a discussion that we had quite a bit on the pregame show last year, particularly early in the season. If you remember, the pitching was insane. And then the next thing you know, the home runs are are just continuing to rise. And we were looking for balance all year long. Something's got to give here. And, of course, they did make the adjustment. Couldn't use the sticky stuff if you were using. Uh, You know, they, they kept an eye on that a little bit, and things did seem to even out. But with all that said and done, There has still been a marked change in something in baseball, and this is actually something that I think, and I think you probably agree with me, will ultimately represent, when we come out of this, the biggest need for the Mariners going forward in 22, and there is still time to do something about it. So Gary Hill is going to tell us a little something about this. Let's talk some long ball. Ah, yes. Swung on and belted. I probably don't have to tell you how important home runs have been to offenses in Major League Baseball, but perhaps you don't realize how big of a factor home runs have been in Major League Baseball. Let's look at last season. If you combine every team in baseball last year, they hit a combined 244. A 244 batting average. That was the lowest since 1972. An on-base percentage of 317. That was the third lowest since 1972. And strikeouts have nearly never been as high. 8.68 a game. That's the second most in history. So strikeouts up, batting average on base percentage down. Yet, what's interesting when you look at last year, when you combine all teams, 4.53 runs a game. Just over four and a half. Now that number is more than 27 seasons since 1972. And a topic we've talked about quite a bit with the science behind modern pitching, the exploding velocities, and more importantly, the diabolical breaking stuff, pitching in Major League Baseball has never been as dominant. So ask the question, how have runs per game held despite the dominant pitching, despite the low batting average, and low on base percentage? And the answer simply, home runs. Swung on that mountain! A moonshot in that will fly! Fly away! Home runs have been the adjustment hitters have made. When you look at home runs per game, home runs per at-bat, Home runs as percentage of hits, they're all as high as they have ever been in Major League Baseball history. And to punctuate just how important they are to runs scored right now in Major League Baseball, of the top 10 home run hitting teams last season, only two of those were not also in the top 10 and runs scored last year in Major League Baseball. The Blue Jays. They hit 262 home runs as a team last year. They were third in runs scored. The Giants, 241 home runs last year. 
They were sixth in runs scored. The Braves, 239 home runs. Last year, they were eighth in runs scored. The Dodgers, 237 home runs. Last year, they were fourth in runs scored, and so on. Only the Twins and Yankees were in the top 10 in homers and not in the top 10 in runs scored. It is essential right now in Major League Baseball to hit home runs. Now, home runs aren't everything. You don't want a player to hand you 20 home runs and also a 200 on base percentage. That cost is too high, but home runs are essential. Let's look at the playoffs last year, and this is probably the most striking number of them all. There were 37 playoff games played a year ago, and only two of those 37 was a team that was out-homered also won the game. Only twice. It happened in the World Series. The Braves out-homered the Astros in a game. They hit two. The Astros didn't hit any. And the Astros won the game. The only other postseason game where that happened, the Giants out-homered the Dodgers in a game. They hit one. The Dodgers didn't hit any. And the Dodgers won the game. Only two times in the postseason out of 37 games where a team out-homered ended up winning the game. So yeah, you could probably venture a guess that homers will be pretty important this year as well. There's no way around it. I know that sometimes I get so into the numbers and I get into the handing the at-bat off to the next guy and traffic on the bases is a great thing and puts more pressure on the pitcher. There's no question about it. But there's also no question in this day and age, James, uh, the long ball means so much more than I think it has in the past because, as Gary pointed out, of the pitching. Sometimes that's the only chance that you have there. What did you take away from this conversation? Well, I took away that it is vitally important for the Mariners to address this moving forward because uh, I think we'll talk about this in the next segment, but there's some numbers about the Mariners and how they approached home runs and power last year that they're going to have to address in this upcoming season, but part of controlling the zone is making better contact by swinging at pitches that are in the zone, which have a higher chance of going out of the park. You swing at strikes, you're going to hit the ball farther and harder. So that is a part of the Mariners' philosophy. Another part that they're sort of finding a market inefficiency in is making more contact and getting more guys on base. And I think it allows for a manager to shine a little bit more because you have more options and more things you can do to sort of manipulate a game when there are actual people on base. But the fact remains, as Gary said through all that, it's striking how important and how impactful home runs can be in a winning team. Want to fire up the stove? Let's do it. All right. Coming up in the next segment, we're going to take a look at where they find these home runs. You're listening to The Hot Stove Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. The Hot Stove Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. More choices, more freedom, more bang for your buck. The best way to catch the action of the 2022 season is with a Mariners Flex membership. Choose the games you want, sit in the seats you want, all for the savings you want. For more information, visit mariners.com slash flex. Shannon Dreyer, James Osborne, getting a little toasty in here. We just fired up the hot stove. Uh, Good to hear from Kyle Glazer earlier in the show and learning a little bit more about what could be on the horizon for the Mariners. Good to hear from Gary Hill and explaining what we saw and what is important in baseball right now as far as scoring runs go. And uh, we've decided you cannot dodge the home run. You have got to have home run production. Great to have the the good at-bats. You want that. You want guys on base. 
but you've got to have that pop somewhere in that lineup, James. And the Mariners, they've got some replacing to do. They absolutely do. I mean, there's no way around Kyle Seeger's production last year. He drove in runs and mostly did it through the home run. He had, what, over 35 home runs last year? Mm-hmm. He was he was a stalwart in the middle of their lineup and has been for a while, but driving in runs and hitting the ball far. And when the Mariners watch him walk out the door, they don't have a natural replacement for that, aside from just a group of guys maybe getting a little bit better. And Jerry Depoto was very clear heading into the offseason that we need to add impact bats. And impact bats are not singles hitters. <laughs> Those are people who drive in runs, and they hit the ball far. So I, I, I would expect that the Mariners should be looking at some names in free agency and maybe in the trade market that could provide some serious power for them. They bring in Adam Frazier, and that's a different skill set, and it's an important skill set. And as Gary said in that piece, you can't just hit 20 home runs and have a 200 on-base percentage. And they've got those guys with the on-base percentages. Now they need the guys to knock them in. You look around right now and what is out there. They have not added that bat as of yet. We've talked about these names before. There's one name we didn't talk about very much last week, and, and it's your guy, your favorite. How are your feelings on Chris Bryant when this thing ends? Chris Bryant, to me, is the prototypical fit for what the Mariners want to be. They want to have flexible players in the field that can play in multiple positions for a number of reasons. That's Chris Bryant. He can play every outfield position, maybe not all of them great. He can play two infield positions. He could probably play a third if you needed him to. He's a flexible guy, and he provides consistent power. Even in down years, he's still providing solid power. He's got experience in a winning culture. He broke the curse with the Cubs. He knows what it's like to be a star prospect and to capitalize on that experience. I think I think that Chris Bryant truly is the ideal fit. Now, he may be a little bit older, and he may be more on the backside of his potential, but for where this team is right now, I think he really he he fills a a square shaped hole. He is a square to fill a square shaped hole. How often does that happen? Uh, not very often <laughs> at all. And it's and, and so I get really excited about Chris Bryant because it's not just his production on the field. He matches the type of person they want to have, the type of player they want to have, the skill sets that they want to have, the mentality that they want to have. He he to me just really ideally lines up for the brand and culture of what Mariners baseball has been trying to be for the last few years of the rebuild. I think they've got such a good thing going in terms of their competitiveness, the chip on the shoulder, their edge, and sort of that belief in themselves when nobody else does. Somebody like Chris Bryant really does add legitimacy, I think, to a a lineup that, you know, has some holes. Now, he's a name that we heard quite a bit at the trade deadline, and uh, it sounded like the Mariners were quite close to the possibility of something happening then. I don't think we have heard as much buzz around his name in the Mariners since. And the difference, of course, is at the trade deadline, you're looking at two months. Now you're looking at seven years. Especially after what Marcus Semien signed for. I was I was not so sure if he would have that length of a contract, if he may go more of the route of just cashing in on a high dollar number through his next prime years and then seeing how the baseball landscape changes when he's 35, 36 at the end of a five-year deal or so. But the fact that there are teams out there throwing around years and a new collective bargaining agreement that could be coming in place that may set up a little bit more of a premium on 
having your guys locked up, I think that there's a really solid chance that you're going to have to be uncomfortable with the price if you want Chris Bryant. And I think seven years is very uncomfortable at that point. Five years, not so much. Six getting there, seven I think probably is. And there are other options out there. Of course, we don't know how this is all going to play out once it happens. Are they going to have one week, two weeks? Are we going to be seeing moves in spring training? We saw the very curious move of Carlos Correa all of a sudden hiring Scott Boris in the middle of this lockout. And that's kind of a panic move in my eyes and that he's looking and, and reading the leaves right now and saying hey I've got to have a plan the minute this ends so it, it's going to be an interesting situation there are other names that are out there some by trade some by free agents who else do you like well the other the other free agent names that are out there are ones that Many people have talked about Trevor Story as the other name that the Mariners were reportedly hotly into at the end of this December lockout period, right leading up to that. There's a local guy in Michael Conforto coming off of more of a down year with the Mets. I uh, grew up in Redmond, my hometown. He's still very young. He's one of the youngest free agents out there on the market. Is there a bounce back opportunity? He may not be the best fielder and he may not have the most natural fit in the lineup. Um, and then you get to guys who are more just the bat specific players that really don't fit your field profile and who you want to be as a team. Guys like Nick Castellanos, Kyle Schwarber, and to a lesser extent, maybe somebody who could play more of a platoon role in somebody like Jorge Soler. Uh, guys who are driving in major runs, they are accomplished professional hitters who do a great job at hitting home runs. There's a wide range of prices there. I don't know that those are great fits. What's your take on that? Again, I think that if it's going to be a short term, then I think it could be anything. But a long term, you've got to fit the profile. And Conforto, I think, might be interesting because before the lockout, I my feeling was I know a lot of people thought that he would be looking at one of those kind of contracts where he can go in and have the bounce back in, in the one-year deal. And I didn't think that. I, I thought I had heard enough interest that it was going to be more than that. When you get into a situation where everything is going to be compressed, then I wonder if you are that player, if somebody does throw you something that perhaps is a little bit extra, you think to yourself, if I'm going to do it, this year is the year to do it, rather than sit back and, and see what happens here. So maybe there's a little bit more of a chance there, but I don't think that that ultimately is going to fit. I think it's going to be more years. I'm interested on the trade front as well, and the two names that you've heard the most about, of course, are Matt Chapman, who is coming off of a down year, but also off of a certain surgery, a major surgery, the type where you're saying second year should be much better. And throughout his struggles last year, maintain that power that we're talking about. And of course, the gold glove and Brian Reynolds in Pittsburgh, which takes us back to our first conversation with Kyle Glazer. How far are you willing to go? I don't think that the Mariners are close enough at this point that they could trade two of their top four prospects to get a guy like Brian Reynolds or to get a guy like Jose Ramirez, who I think is actually a really ideal fit for where the Mariners are right now and would be great moving forward. I'm not sure that they're that kind of team. There are teams out there that should do that, but I don't think that's the Mariners right now. I would hope that they can find something. The The appeal with Matt Chapman to me is the familiarity that you have with him, the idea that even if he does produce that season, as long as you don't have to give up one of your very top prospects, you're still benefiting from that player. So there's 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 appeal there for me. I just love the idea of the Mariners finding centerpiece 
finding a cornerstone, something that you can build upon instead of something that maybe just sort of puts icing on the cake. I'm not sure that the cake is totally finished yet at the Major League. Well, let's not forget that that was the intent going into the season. And Robbie Ray, you can say he's a centerpiece of a pitching staff. That was a bit of a surprise, but they wanted that offensive piece as well. So you never know. Maybe they do go the distance, be it in years or be it in prospects, to have that player. And if you think about it, if they wanted that player now, then I think they are seeing themselves in that position that you think they're a year away from. And the other thing that I would offer on that is Mitch Haniger. You know, obviously the 39 home runs last year, he was on our flagship station, 710 ESPN Seattle, last week talking about how his new workout routine, now that he's had a year with it, now he's separated from missing a year and a half. If he adds anything to his season last year, that that's beyond impact, what he is doing right now in his final year. If you want to keep him, you have to show him. You can't wait a year to add that piece. That is absolutely right. That is that is one of the core fun and nerve-wracking things for a Mariner <laughs> fan heading into this season with the very little offseason that's left is that I think everybody is on the same page that Mitch Haniger is worth keeping around and he is somebody that you can make the foundation of this team built on for the next few years for their champ for their championship window. He can be your guy to sort of be the main piece of it. But he's got options and he's not signed to a long-term deal and he sat through and watched Kyle Seager and other players sit through a long rebuild where Wins at the major league level were not the most important thing to the organization. And now that they're ready and everyone from the top down says it's time to turn that page and compete at the major league level, he's got to see you put it up. He's got to see the Mariners put their money where their mouth is. Robbie Ray is a part of it. I, I And I know that they believe they need to do more and make bigger splashes. The question is, can they do enough and can they do it in time? Are they willing to make sort of unsound decisions that go against some of maybe their principles of overpaying guys in years and dollars to be able to get that done now and sign and be able to lock up Mitch Haniger for a longer term deal? I, it's fascinating. It's nerve wracking because I want it to happen. But, <laughs> Let's get man, this thing going. It's big. <laughs> Unlock the doors. Unlock the players. Let's go. Let's yes. get on with the offseason. All right. We're going to turn down the stove a little bit to a more comfortable level. Coming up next uh, will be uh, another in our series of getting to know the people that you listen to talk baseball on 710 ESPN. Bob Stelton going to talk about his baseball coming up next. The Hot Stove Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. The ultimate way to experience Mariners baseball is by booking a 2022 sweet night. Enjoy private seating, VIP parking, fantastic ballpark fare, and much more. To secure your suite and enjoy summer's top ball games in style, visit mariners.com slash suites. Shannon Dreyer, James Osborne here with the hot stove, and I've been looking forward to this, James, all day. Uh, we know him, and we I have a feeling we'll learn a little bit more. I think this is what happens when we do this kind of thing, but we're going to do this every show. We are going to learn a little bit more about those that you hear talking baseball on the airwaves during the day on 710 ESPN Seattle. And joining us right now from the Wyman and Bob show, heard 2 to 7 every day on uh, 710 ESPN, Bob Stelton and Bob. I know a little bit about, I certainly know about your passion for baseball. And one of the things that I have so enjoyed about spending time with you around baseball is I have seen you at the ballpark. I, I am away from this uh, station, 
six months out of the year. And when the Mariners are in town, I can almost count on seeing you in that clubhouse when that access was allowed. Tell us a little bit about, you know, your history with the game and, and how, you know, baseball came to, to be. I, I'm not sure if it's your number one passion in sports, but obviously a huge interest for you. Well, it's it's first. Let me say it's an honor to be on with you guys. Thank you so much for howdy having too. Me. Yeah, even <laughs> of course, me. even okay. me. Okay. Of course. Yeah. Okay. No, it's it, it, I, anytime I can talk baseball with guys and, and girls that love baseball, I'm in. Count me in. But yeah, I I mean, it was the first sport I ever I was ever introduced to as a kid. You know, and that was sort of a bonding element with my with my dad. My parents were divorced when I was a little kid, so he was always my coach, and I started playing at five years old in what they called peanut league <laughs> it was which i think is is before t-ball i never played t-ball but the peanut league was the 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 coach throwing the ball underhand to you and it was basically like a softball a little smaller than a softball a little bigger than a baseball and uh that's that's was my first introduction to it uh lived in california as a little kid so i listened to vince scully and i was a dodgers fan and and all of that growing up and then obviously moved here to washington and and i played all through little league and, and through high school and played city league and you know i mean we, we could go through every every detail of it but yeah once once i moved here I, I i started clinging to the mariners and and it became you know edgar and randy and of course junior and everything that has gone on in the mariners organization that is good and bad i've lived and died with all of it we came up together in radio a long long time ago and we were at that final game at the kingdom and i think you see the picture of a few of us uh, before they they blew everything up down on the field, um, looking our you know oh, much yeah. under thirty three year old self. But I also <laughs> have another one of you on the pitching mound in your khakis, in your blue, uh, you know your your blue shirt, and, and uh, just doing the the classic getting ready. I think you were doing your best, Randy, getting ready to throw a pitch out there. What are your memories of those days? I think I was wearing a pager at the time, which gives you a little time frame. <laughs> as, as was I, my ESPN Sports pager. <laughs> so funny, but yeah. I mean, I, I remember that day. I remember that night, you know, the final game in the Kingdome and, and just, the, you know, back then we were so, so young in the business and growing up as a baseball fan. Just first of all, being able to stand on the field was unlike anything I'd ever imagined. Just being on the field, like, oh my goodness, this is where, this is where Junior stands or this is where Edgar was or this is where Randy was. I mean, you, how do you beat that? If you're, a, if you're a hardcore fan, you grew up watching and, and idolizing these guys, just the idea of standing on that field was sort of sacred and being in those clubhouses was, was just, oh man. I mean, it was, I remember, you know, my first job in radio was to go down to the clubhouse, get sound, don't open your mouth. <laughs> don't say a word. You stand there, you make sure that the tape, it was a cassette tape in the Marantz, make sure it's rolling, make sure your mic is connected and you've got batteries, and just let others ask a question, get your mic in there. And that was it. And to me, that was that was the coolest thing in the world, you know. And you know, you you, you saw you have an image of a lot of players. You get to see a different side when you're in that clubhouse. Sometimes it's even better. Eh, sometimes it doesn't live up to the billing. It doesn't live up to the way you pictured them. But it's it's just a very surreal um, moment. And for me, that's where it started. I had never been in a clubhouse before the Kingdom, and and that was the first clubhouse I'd ever been in. That was the first time I'd ever set foot on a major league field. So it was, uh, you know, as bad of a building as it was, and as bad as some of those teams certainly were. 
those are those are moments you take to the grave with you. Those are those are cherished moments. Same, and there's no disparaging the kingdom for me because of that. It's personal. Those those were just special special moments. Let's jump ahead many many years, and of course you were like two when you did all of that in the kingdom. I know I was a prodigy. You were a prodigy. <laughs> And, uh, you know, more more current day right now, but what is it, you know, and as I mentioned, you, you know, really go out of your way to, to talk to players, to get into the clubhouse when you can. What is it that you're looking for when you're down there? The relationship. And and I don't mean like, hey, we're going to be buddies and hang out, but just that, you know, they, I, I feel like if we're going to talk about these guys every day on the radio, and sometimes what we say is critical. Someday it's never personal, but it's, you know, sometimes you talk about a guy that didn't play well or a guy who's not pitching well or not hitting, whatever's going on. I think there's a, there's a different element of respect that they have for you as, as a reporter or talk show host, whatever your job is. If you're, if you're down there, because they always hear about it and you know that, Shannon, they, you know, whether they hear it themselves or their friends hear it or somebody in their crew hears it and passes it along to them. I just sort of want to be accountable. And I, I just want them to have some level of familiarity. If we speak to them on the air, it gives me a, a reference point where I can say, you know, hey, you know, you and I were talking at your at your locker last night, and you were telling me about how you you've just changed bats recently, or you you changed your mid, or you've got a new stance, or you've tweaked the, anything we may have discussed the night before, and it triggers that memory in their head, like, oh yeah, I was talking to this guy. Okay, they they tend to loosen up a little bit. Yeah, I think there's a. They know you're down there. They know you're 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 into what they're doing. Obviously, you're not somebody who's just you know placing a phone call and let's interview you about your favorite color. I think they they have a different level of respect, and it also loosens them up a bit. You know, when they realize they've spoken to you, and and it jars their memory a bit. So for me, it, it makes for a better conversation on the air, and it also makes for a better conversation. Sometimes I don't even repeat what. I talk to these guys about at times and, you know, Shannon, you get more info than anybody, you know, that you develop that sort of, Hey, let me ask you about this, you know, sort of off the record, if you will, and just get a sense of how they're feeling about situations or how they're feeling about the team or that particular night or that game, what have you. I just think there's, to me, there's a huge, huge value in being in there and, and standing in front of that person. Uh, if, if this is a sport you're going to talk a lot about, you're going to spend time talking about it. If there are people or players in baseball that have made a big impact on you, who are some of those names, the people that you've really went to that you felt like you developed a connection with that sort of poured into you and helped you understand the game in a different way? Uh, I, well, first and foremost, when we when we first got started, and I think, again, Shannon would know this better than anybody, Dan Wilson was our go-to guy. <laughs> and when he, Still is. <laughs> yeah, there's always a go-to guy in the clubhouse when the team loses. I mean, you know, for people that don't know that are listening, you know, it, it's, it's not always people are like, Oh man, it must be so awesome to go in that clubhouse. You're talking to this guy, this guy. I'm like, you've never been in there when they've lost three in a row or four in a <laughs> row. And we go in there and that room is quiet and we all stand in the middle of the room. All the media, you know, newspaper and radio and TV, we're all standing in the middle like a bunch of dopes waiting for the starting pitcher to come out. And it's really quiet. And we're talking like we're in a library because everybody's upset and nobody's in a good mood. So it's um, it, you have a go-to guy. And Dan Wilson was that guy that would talk after a loss. And he was friendly. And he, you know, cause some people could be, they'll, they'll let you know they're not interested in a really aggressive way sometimes. So, <laughs> so, you know, Dan was our guy and, and he was, he was a guy that I really sort of, you know, would cling to you because the Mariners weren't good. They lost a lot. So you needed to go to Dan a lot. Uh, he wasn't the only one, but you know, as, as the years went on, uh, you know, different people would come and go. I mean, obviously Brendan Ryan, we'd always joke cause I, I had known, known him in St. Louis. 
he so became fun. A, he was such a great personality and he couldn't hit and it was such a bummer and he would <laughs> but he would say it as much i would even try to pump him up like man you got a hold of that one last night he's like it's as hard as I can hit. It's like swinging a wet newspaper. You know, he's just, he would joke around about his lack of power, but he had a personality and he would, he would talk to you. He would, he would, mm-hmm. I, I heard a lot of things from him on and off the record that would help inform me. Um, so yeah, different guys like that over the years and, and these past couple years have been brutal because we don't have that access. We don't, you know, the, Shannon's developed relationships with these players over the years for me. My interaction is very intermittent, and and we haven't had the access at all over the past couple of years. So it is over the phone. It is, you know, kind of that that thing that I wanted to avoid, which was an unfamiliar voice on the other end of a phone that they can't really see when we do interview them. So that that part's been a huge bummer with during the pandemic. Well, and hopefully they're able to get past that, and that doesn't become the practice because you hear everything that's missing. You you know, if you can't hear it, then the fans aren't hearing it, and and that's you know, it's important. That's how. Fans relate to the game is when they can relate to the player and learn a little bit more about what they're watching. Bob, we've just got about one more minute here, but uh, give us a little preview of what you are looking forward to seeing this year with the Mariners. Oh, just growth. Just growth. I'm so fired up about this team. I had so much fun. I don't know about you guys. Last year was one of the best years for me as a, as a fan, as a member of the media. I loved last year. I lived and died with every game. I couldn't wait to get home and turn the TV on. And when there wasn't a game, I was like, what do I do with myself? What am I supposed to do tonight? Uh, so that momentum that they created, that, that, that pack building for that Angel series, the electricity, I mean, the send-off for Seager, there was so much that was special about last year. So I'm just, I'm hoping that the lockout can get rectified here soon and they can capitalize on that momentum and capitalize on the Robbie Ray and Adam Frazier signings and continue to add and see who's, who's going to shake out with the young guys. I mean, we've never had more high-level prospects to look forward to. I can't wait to see who, who truly lives and, and lives up to their billing, if you will, and, and pans out and, and how they build this team around the youth and, and, you know, the veterans like Mitch Hanniger and Marco Gonzalez that they've got right now. I just, I am so fired up for them to continue the momentum that was created last year in a way that it hasn't been created in a really long time here. Oh, we are all looking forward to it and great to talk baseball with you, Bob. We'll do it again. Anytime. It's a pleasure. Did you learn something there, Howdy? Oh, of course. I love listening to Bob talk about baseball because he truly is a great mix of fan and somebody who follows the game closely on the inside. He marries that really well. So listening to their show is great because he gives you that perspective that's, I think it's unique. I don't think there's very many people who are given that. And if you missed it, a great conversation with Mitch Hanniger last week, which can be found on the podcast page or... I wrote it up um, on uh, my page on mynorthwest.com, a 20-minute conversation with Mitch Hanniger and uh, Bob Stelton. Did he have a question? Yes, he did. Oh, yeah. Good questions, too, at that. So uh, that is going to wrap it up for us this week. We want to thank Kyle Glazer. Great to hear from him. Gary Hill and uh, really reinforcing what the Mariners need to do next, it would appear. And, of course, Bob Stelton joining us uh, right now. Coming up next week, we're going to hear from another familiar voice from the station and, I think, another familiar voice from the baseball side of things. How's that for a tease? Yes. That you are going to want to hear from as well. This just goes by too quickly, but uh, I think we got it all done. Yeah. Episode 2 is better than Episode 1, so I can't even imagine what Episode 3 is going to be. I can't pick favorites. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you, you're not a rankings person. You're not a projections person. Don't project. So. Don't rank. None of the above. And it can all be found on the podcast page. All right. Thanks for listening. We will do this again next week.